0: All right, we are continuing in our series looking at the image of God in each one of us. This is something that's very important to us as a church community because we recognize one of the first words spoken by God about humanity and the story of creation and Genesis is that each of us was made to carry the image of the reflection of God into the world. And so in this series, we're looking at the ways in which we do that, in which we bear or reflect the image of God. We're also looking at the ways in which we honor the image of God or not in others uh, that we see and the others that we come across in the world. So as we move forward in that, we're gonna move forward uh, this morning in the discussion of how uh, race intersects with an understanding of the image God in the world. So as we say that, again, this is another one of those, I feel like week after week lately, we're just kind of stepping into the middle of these really deep and complex issues uh, that can be a little uncomfortable. So I just want to recognize that this can be an issue that's uncomfortable to talk about, uh, especially understanding that there's uh, a variety of us in here that come from all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences and stories and, and political backgrounds in an issue that's become heavily politicized. And so that's a little uncomfortable, right? Um, So I want us to start, and I just want us to take a deep breath here, uh, literally. Take a deep breath and uh, just bring ourselves into the presence here. So let's start with that. Can we do that? Okay. All right. So as we relax, uh, the goal for this is to have a clean slate of listening this morning, that whatever we brought in, we're gonna try and set that aside and just hear from voices this morning because listening and believing the story of others is so important. Uh, We had that reading there earlier that could have brought up a lot of feelings and a lot of, uh, from a lot of different experiences. Uh, But the thing I heard in the middle of that reading is the importance of listening and considering the stories of others without dismissing. So today we're gonna have a conversation. Thankfully, as we talk about race, you don't have to just sit and listen to me uh, give a sermon about it, but we can have a great conversations with leaders that are in our community. So if you could help me, uh, let's welcome for our conversation this morning, some of our family members here, Dr. Angela Logan and Zach Gillis. All right. Hey, guys. Good morning. We have chairs for you. Isn't that wonderful?
1: Okay. awesome. All right.
0: We're going to dive in uh, because uh, we have lots to say that we learned last time, right? Uh, First of all, I want to give one disclaimer on this. I think the best way to learn is to ask great questions. And so uh, this is an issue that I've been in the learning process for a while. but one of the things I'm gonna do is I'm gonna feign a little bit of ignorance to ask some questions that I think uh, were helpful to me along the way. Uh, so, so if you hear a question come from me and you're like, oh, he's completely ignorant, uh, just know like I might be asking those questions. But on the other side of it, I actually am ignorant still in a lot of ways <laughs> and have a lot of learning to go. So the beauty of this is you just won't know what's me faking ignorance and what's me actually being ignorant. So I kind of get a free pass on this, fair? Yeah, yeah. all right. So here we go. We say we're talking about race this morning. Um, one of the first things I want to just dive into is what is race at all, right? Because the question could come, aren't we all just different and shouldn't we just acknowledge we're all different? We all have different hair colors and eye colors and, uh, you know, shapes and sizes and everything else. Um, is this just that? When we're talking about race, aren't we just talking about uh, these physical characteristics? What, what's the deal here?
1: Yes. End of the lesson, grace and peace. Kidding. Breathe. Okay, y'all, you all really need to breathe. Because you are going to pass out, not because of the brilliance that we are saying, but because you are depriving your brains of oxygen. Breathe. Before, um, before we get started, I just want to say something really quickly. The views that are expressed this morning are the views of all people of color everywhere. Zachary and I called everyone this morning, we too. and we've all decided this is what we're saying. So let it be written, so let it be done. See? If you're not going to breathe, I'm gonna, we're going to make you laugh, and that will force you to breathe. Yeah. On some level, race, that really is all it is. Ryan, is it just physical characteristics and how people are classified by others. There's a great quote from a historian that says, race is not how you define yourself, but how others define what you, who you are. So it's not about what I think or what I feel, it's about how, how I am defined. So we all are the human race, we all have various characteristics physical, characteristics, physical characteristics, including skin color, hair texture, as well as stature, and those are the things that make up our race.
0: So it's not, so appearance is definitely as a part of this, right? But you're saying that it's when there's deeper meaning uh, attached or perceived as a result of the differences in opinions, right?
1: Absolutely. And so that's where we get into ethnicity. So ethnicity looks at our shared history, our shared culture, our shared social experiences based on our, ident- our identity as a certain race or ethnicity.
0: All right. I feel smarter now having had this conversation. Thank You're welcome. All right. So if it's not just our appearances, right, but it's the deeper meaning and cultures associated with that, uh, if you could share briefly, like, when did you first start to uh, become aware of race? Not just that, that people look different than you and you look different than people, but, but the, when did you become aware that there was meaning attached to that?
2: Um, I definitely became aware of it when I was a little kid. And I started going over to my friends' houses. One of my oldest friends, Dr. Thomas Clements, awesome dude, like the quintessential man of Irish descent, red, fiery hair, and then it's me, my little black self. So we were like Ebony and Ivory of Montessori Children's <laughs> Schoolhouse. Everybody know we was tight. But um, anyway, I went over to his house, and then I began to realize that there were definitely some cultural differences um, with you know, the interactions that they had with each other as a family, with the foods that they ate and how they were seasoned. And (laughs) that was shade. (laughs) But, um, you know, so that right there um, was definitely an inkling where I was just like, huh, there's a little bit more to this. And then um, as I did matriculate through school, vernacular was definitely something that I believe sort of set me apart from everyone else because... Growing up, I was taught something called code switching. Code switching is when, you know, you speak, as my father would call it, you have to learn how to speak the queen's English. Absolutely, darling. Yes. Good morning. As a method of survival. As a method of survival and things like that. But then once you begin to loosen up a bit, then a twang and a smoothness and a soul starts coming out and things. And then I began to realize that my friends were like, you talk funny. Because I started to get more comfortable around them. And um, like when I would say jail, I wasn't, you know, talking about prison. I was talking about the stuff that you put in your head. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, so so that was definitely an inkling where I was just like, oh, okay, cultural differences, cool.
0: Angela, your experience was similar with private school?
2: Absolutely. Zach and I
1: were um, talking this week, and we both realized that we went to parochial schools mostly all of our lives. And so there are, there are unique differences when you are one of ten students who look like you in a school of a couple of hundred. You're like, oh, Okay. So you're, oh, you're, you're that Angela, absolutely. And so I remember going over my friend's house, Babette Armstrong, and her little, they had me over for dinner, and we, um, among the, they were like, what do you want? Oh, I don't mind, I'm not a picky eater. That was a lie.
0: <laughs> because
1: they offered me succotash, and I was like, excuse me?
0: <laughs>
1: so then my best friend and I had probably our first fight because I didn't want the lima beans and the corn to touch. So they actually had to make me two separate pots of vegetables. But at the end of the dinner, her four-year-old sister looked at me and said, you are my best brown friend. Hmm. And I was like, I guess I am, baby. You are right.
0: Yeah. So so even at a young age, starting to see the cultural differences you're experiencing from some others around you, uh, let's move from that into talking about... uh, how race can be a part of the reflection of the image of God, right? Like, as we think about the image of God in each of us, how is race an asset in that? And Zach, you've shared some really great stories of how your grandma was able to speak that into your life.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, My maternal grandmother, absolutely fantastic. Um, She actually taught me so much about race um, from a pretty simple statement that was actually really profound. Like my grandmama was raised in Sunflower County, Mississippi, like deep, deep, deep down in the Delta. So she was a part of the black diaspora along with my great grandmother, where they moved up north and they ended up moving to Gary. And toward the end of my grandmother's life, <laughs> she pulled me aside and she would always call me by my first and middle name. She said, you know what, Zachary Charles? I said, what grandma? She said, you know, I think I need to get right with white people. And I was like, what? And then of course it made sense. She was from Mississippi, mm-hmm. you know, and was born during the depression and kind of came up during Jim Crow and all of that. And then I said, well, why? And then she said, well, well Zachary, I realized there ain't no black heaven or no white heaven. And I want to go. So I think I need to get right with white people, right? I said, yeah, grandma, you are. So I'm pretty confident that she's in glory with her white next door neighbor in her mansion. In mm. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so as you say that, like, I, I hear this, you know, there's no black heaven, there's no white heaven. So uh, on that level, we're kind of all the same before God, right? But it seems like there's more to that when it, when it comes to this. What, Angela, what do you see in that as far as, like, the beauty of uh, understanding that, that while we're all be together in heaven, that there's still differences now? What's the beauty in that? Yes.
1: So there is so much richness to our lives. Um, There is a beauty of who we are that we are all made in the image of God. Each of us is a part of God's creation. And so to deny that... To de- deny my racial or ethnic heritage or, to de- or for you to deny your own, that is doing dishonor to our God, because it is as though we're all assuming that there's a different God that made me versus the one that made you. Therefore, so it goes against our beliefs at, that we believe in one God. So if we're saying that, oh, she's not, she or he is not like me because they have different skin color, oh, so you're saying there's a different God? We doing this today? Mm-hmm. Okay, great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so there's something important in acknowledging who we are without, kind of, uh, without whitewashing that? <laughs> yes, go ahead, without whitewashing it. All right. You
1: can say the word. It's okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, uh, that was the real ignorance coming out of now. Um, So we, we've heard this, these concepts of, like, America is a melting pot, um, but you've expressed before that that may be not, might not be the best analogy there.
1: So, using the phrase melting pot actually makes my teeth itch because when you have a melting pot, see, think, yeah, you're getting that image, aren't you? So, a melting (laughs) pot, everyone takes all of who they are and they just throw it in a pot and at the end everything just kind of tastes like potato. But really, what I prefer is thinking that we are all a salad. Mm. So everyone has their own characteristics. When you put radishes and olives together, they do not coming out taste like potato. The radishes maintains its flavor. The olives maintain their flavor. But at the end of the day, it's all a wonderful thing that is magical and beautiful with craisins and bacon. Mm. Amen in Jesus' name.
0: And ranch dressing. Avocado.
1: And, and French dressing.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And blue cheese. Hmm. All right. We're, we're going to have an argument about salads here. <laughs> we're building bridges. So, so one of the things I love that you, you said, though, is you said that each person needs to embrace their own race or culture. So that's an interesting concept for me uh, that I, I didn't grow up with, right? And in that, I think I just always saw myself as uh, normal and then everybody else as the, the unique parts of the salad that kind of made my life uh, taste better. Um, there, what would you say is the importance of understanding that role of your own culture and your own race when it comes to seeing others?
2: Um, I think it's really important um, that you do acknowledge your own culture. Um, one example that I can use is my best friend, who's Dutch American, and they had this saying where he would say, "Well, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much," and I just roll my eyes and be like, "Yeah, right, whatever." But um, all of that to say, like, because he was in touch with his culture, and because I know that I mean something to him, he wanted to learn more about my culture. So when you have um, your personal culture identity, and you're able to be in that and live within that because Mm -hmm. we're called to love everybody because we need each other to survive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We will be more open to discovering different cultures from everyone. So yeah, I would definitely say it starts with ourselves, for sure.
0: Yeah, so the thing that I think I'm learning in this conversation is that if I'm not just going to see... If I just see me as like a baseline and everybody else is different than me, then there's already an othering that takes place in that, right? And so for me to see the beauty and the image of God in others, I have to see my uniqueness in that as well, right? Um, it's like when I, when I grew up and I thought that like only people from the South had accents and didn't realize that I also had an accent to the people from the South. Um, we need to see the uniqueness in the culture. And the other thing I want to point out is, is I love that example about your friend who's Dutch, but I grew up, I didn't know, I don't know what my heritage is, I don't, I don't know if I'm Italian American, Dutch American, I, I don't know, I don't know what that is, but uh, you're saying just even embracing like your individual or family culture like helps you to see other people more clearly. Exactly. Yeah? Okay. Um, the, let's move on then. So we've seen kind of like the goodness in race. I want to move on then to kind of the heavier part here, which is asking that question of how do we fail to honor the image of God and others due to race? Um, so can you please both share briefly, like when was the first time you experienced uh, being devalued because of your race?
1: So I'm not sure if this is the first, but it's definitely the, the one that was the most impactful. I was about 12 years old and my mom and I um, were doing some errands and we decided to swing through a drive-through to grab some lunch. And so we pulled up to the Long John Silver's drive-through window and there was a car, behind, car in front of us and they just sat there and then they pulled off. So we kind of looked at each other and shrugged our shoulders, it was like, okay. And then we pulled up to the window, to the little speaker box and there was nothing going on. So we just kind of paused and then we went up and instead of pulling away, we went up to the actual window. Well, it was at that point that we realized that there was a malfunction in the speaker box because the car that had been in line in front of us had circled back around the building and he was at the speaker box and just as we had gotten to the window, the speaker box magically fixed itself and you could hear as loudly as possible Tell those NBs that we were here first. Hmm. And I remember turning red and being embarrassed and ashamed and devalued. And my mother, who had come of age in rural Alabama, she too was part of the black, the, um, black my, back migration to the north, she um, just sat there and looked at me because she had thought that that language had been dead and gone and left it in Alabama. And she looked at me and said, we're gonna be all right. We got our lunch and we
2: went on about mm. our day.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry for your experience. Yeah,
2: um, I had experienced my first encounter of racism when I was nine years old. Um, I had transferred from my relatively diverse Montessori school to a predominantly white parochial school. And um, I was about one of ten black students in a student body of 200, so you couldn't miss me. And um, I remember one of my classmates' jackets had gone missing. And um, my teacher, of course, asked all of the students, you know, what happened to it, and then. Of course, everyone says no, but at the end of the day, she pulls me aside and she says that she found his jacket in my backpack. Now, I told her I didn't take this jacket because it was two sizes too small, so I couldn't wear it anyway, so (laughs) why would I take something that I can't use? Duh, you know, nine-year-old Zach, he has sense. But um, then I went out to the parking lot and I told my dad and he said, did you tell the principal? And I said, no, and he stormed right into the school Then I saw my teacher walk the young man back to his car, and I guess he got a talking to or whatever, and he was at school the next day. Well, fast forward to the next year, when I was in fourth grade, one of his cohorts came up to me and said that he was out to get me. He put that coat in my backpack, and he said, and I quote, "Um, we're gonna get that little n-word, and we're gonna get him out of our school. So um, So they used that to try to get me kicked out.
0: My goodness. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to hear those things and process process them even. Um, so I hear that and uh, I hear kind of these extreme people that are using the N-word and everything like that. Um, but that's not the whole picture, right? So I think sometimes we can see those people and it's like, okay, you have the KKK rallies or the neo-Nazis or the Charlottesville, you know, you have these things. Or, or even it's the people in the drive-through that are willing to to let their hatred come out. Uh, is that what we're talking about, Just Is that those, those you know, X percent of fringe people that, that are aggressively hate-filled towards people of color? Like, or is, when we talk about racism and racial bias, like, is there more than just hatred? Is it, is it, is it only these intentional people?
1: Sadly, no. So while it's easy to dismiss the Klan rallies and the Pier 1 protests, what tends to happen a little more often, it's the, um, as one of my colleagues used to refer to it as, the crazy makers. So it's the little things that happen, the daily slights that will make you start to wonder, am I losing my mind? Because they're over and over again.
2: Zach, I think you referred to them as? Microaggressions. And um, the picture that I used to describe that is, uh, microaggressions are like mosquito bites. You get one and it just itches a little bit, it's a little irritating, but once they keep coming, they become overwhelmingly annoying and you have to get out some hydrocortisone, which in this particular case could be um, the receiver of the microaggressions not having any patience and coming out of a bag on you Mm. and getting upset.
0: So you're saying it's, it's small things that aren't necessarily intentionally meant to be uh, mean or, or malicious, but, yeah. and, and maybe each and one of them in and of themselves isn't like uh, some, worth writing a, a blog post about. But it's like those little things mm-hmm. in, day in and day out that over time yeah. add up. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, they can be um, covert and overt,
1: definitely. Uh, if I wrote a blog post about every time I had one, I would not do my paid job. Maybe. The blog writing would become the paid job. On the real.
0: Yeah, Angela, you have a great story of what was possibly intentional, possibly unintentional uh, kind of microaggression that you experienced the other day. Can you tell us about the graduation story? Yes.
1: So, um, as many of you know, I work for a local higher ed institution, and I've decided that I'm going to commit to working in higher ed, so I'm going to invest. An academic regalia and for those of you who don't know it is an investment it's probably upwards of a thousand dollars to buy that lovely cap and gown so i went to a seamstress and said hi i'm here to get my measurements for my cap and gown and she said okay go to the back so i went to the back talked to a lovely gentleman said hi i'm here to get my measurements for my academic regalia talked to the lady across the hall she and i looked at her took another breath said okay i'm here to get my measurements for my academic regalia And she said, oh, you're here to get fitted for your housekeeping uniform? And let me put in as a disclaimer, as the grandchild of a woman who was the help, I celebrate and honor the work of those who work in housekeeping. And it's your job, if you don't know who works in housekeeping, that's a mistake on your part. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because they are the people who run the institution. Having said that, No, no, ma'am, I'm not. It was the perception that the only thing that this little brown face could do at this here university is to work in housekeeping. So I took a breath and I had to remember this lovely quote from Dr. Anna Julia Cooper, who said, when and where I enter, the entire race enters with me. No, ma'am, I'm here for my academic regalia. You know, cap and gown oh, I'm sorry, you have to understand, the lady up front didn't understand you because English is not her first language. And then I forgot that same quote that I just said to you. And I said, oh, really? So what's the old white dude's excuse? Did he not understand English either? (laughs) And then she turned an appropriate shade of red and we got my measurements for my academic regalia.
0: But these, these are stories, but uh, these types of things are happening on an ongoing basis, right? Um, talk to me about kind of another way that personal bias comes into play um, that you can fill in the blank, but blank while black, right? So I've heard, you know, driving while black, shopping while black. Uh, we had uh, this week. We had
1: napping while black, strolling, walking with a stroller with your sick child while black,
2: mm-hmm. um, barbecuing in a park with charcoal while black.
0: Yeah. Ex- explain. Explain some of this. How How is your experience of life different just as a result of uh, just as a result of race?
2: Well, well, um, I would have to say that a lot of the conversations that my parents had with me were very different um, than what I could imagine the conversations folks of the majority culture would have to have with their children. One example that I definitely use is driving. Um, once it started to become way more prevalent for unarmed black men to be killed by a police officer um, because of implicit racial bias or something. Um,
0: when you say implicit racial bias, what, what does that mean?
2: Implicit racial bias is just this innate stereotype that you just have in your head. Implicit racial bias makes you... Um, walk on the other side of the road when you see a man of my stature and my color walk by you. It makes you grab onto whoever you're with um, when you see someone like that. Implicit racial bias makes someone follow you in the grocery store. just to contextualize that uh, particular phrase, but my parents had given me a regiment that I have to go through every time I get into a car. I make sure that my registration is in my visor and not in my armrest or my glove compartment because we don't want a policeman to stop me and think that I'm reaching for some type of weapon. Mm -hmm. Or um, 10 and 2, yes, sir, no, sir. Have your seat up. Turn your music down. You know, these are the particular things that I had to um, be taught as a kid, but now I live in a world where it seems like none of that even matters anymore. Yeah. And that's a little difficult. It is.
0: Yeah. One of the things we talked about with it, uh, first of all, let me say with implicit implicit racial bias, this is different than uh, intentional malice, right? Right. Nobody nobody is saying that whether it's, it's law enforcement officers or anyone else, that people are intentionally necessarily, uh, though that happens too, that, that there's not necessarily intent, but implicit racial bias is something that scientists have even done psychological studies and have shown that people are less likely to show grace uh, when they're confronted with a, a brown face. Okay, so this is something that, we're, that happens uh, to the vast majority of the population with no intention even behind it, let alone the people that, that do intend, intend malice. So that's one of the things, one more aspect of personal bias I want to talk about here that you experience is um, it's not just um, experiencing more negative, right? But sometimes part of personal bias means that you don't get afforded the grace or the b- benefit of the doubt that other people. So sometimes it's just that people are more likely to follow the rules with you than they are with other people. Um, Angela, can you speak to that? You've talked about even just like walking across campus before or talking to coworkers on campus. Can you, can you explain how, it, it's not necessarily, like the people who talk to you might be doing their job the right way, Absolutely. but just not showing you grace in ways they would show others.
1: So I, um, when this latest incident happened of napping while black, my, what, what was that incident by the way? so it was a young grad student at yale who was in the common space area of her dorm we know it was her dorm because when the campus police showed up she unlocked her dorm room with her key so she clearly needed to be there and someone uh one of her classmates colleagues friends didn't think she should be there and so she called campus uh, police because there was a black woman napping it's the end of the academic semester. If you find a grad student sleeping somewhere, let them be. Give them a blanket. <laughs> Check to make sure they're not overslept and have missed attorney and trustee, trust me. This is as a faculty member as, and as a former grad student. But so as this was happening, my dad and I were talking. He was like, I can only imagine what you have to go through. And I was like, Daddy, every waking minute of the day, I carry my campus ID because I want to make sure that should something happen, I have proof that I belong here.
0: So I hear those things, and again, it's hard for me to comprehend that, and it's hard for me to believe that uh, at times, that people might be dealing with it. So one more chance I just wanna say, this is something we emphasize again in the Everyone and Icon series, is that uh, when we uh, consider someone's story to be suspect just based on who they are, we are othering them, right? So when we hear these stories, even as outlandish as it may sound to your personal experience, we have a responsibility to take these stories seriously and to listen really well in these things, so thank you guys for sharing in this. As we talk about uh, personal bias, I wanna move real quickly into uh, talking about whole systems that devalue Uh, the image of God based on race, and then eventually we'll move into what we can do about it. So as we talk about systems, it's this understanding that it may just not be individuals. It just may be the the collective of how our society is working that works to devalue the image of God in others. Uh, Zach, Zach, you have uh, both of you have really uh, short um, stories about just these simple system things uh, that aren't even like the, the big picture stuff. Tell me about the theater thing real quick.
2: Yes. Um, during my undergraduate years, I was, involved, I was involved in the theater department. And, I mean, if, if you know anything about the history of black entertainers, um, we were not afforded the opportunities to have those leading roles. So we were either the help, the villain, or the dimwit. And um, this particular show, of course... I had wanted to audition for the leading male role, mainly because that was the only tenor part in the whole that go musical. What am I gonna do with bass? Y'all hear me talking? I can't sing sing no bass. Maybe like first thing in the morning, but no, not now. But um, anyways, I digress. Um, I remember auditioning for the role and um, I didn't get it. And the only difference between me and the young man who ended up getting that role, was that he was white and I was black. We had the same body type. I was a little taller than he was. He was an all right singer. He was an mm, actor. But I remember someone said, well, we want to stick to the integrity of this show. Which means that they wanted to be historically accurate. You know, so I wasn't about to be-
0: and the- the- the the story was set in the, story, the 1800s. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
2: I was just going there. Yeah, it was set in the 1800s, so you know we were slaves. So yeah, they offered me a, a lesser role, and I politely declined. So um, so yeah, that was a little bit of my experience.
0: So that's a way where systems come into play, right? So you, as an actor, uh, in predominantly uh, majority white schools, uh, when they were doing plays. Um, they weren't selecting plays that they felt had, they were going to give many opportunities to play. Right. So it's not that they didn't like you as a no, person, not they were just choosing based on, and they wouldn't choose plays that had lots of black characters because there wasn't enough black students to do that according to the systems they exactly. had built in play. Exactly,
2: yeah. now my experience wasn't totally bad. Like, I was actually involved in other productions in, you know, operatic irregulars and things where I got that part solely because I could sing the tenor role well,
0: mm. you know,
2: so that was a positive experience um, yeah. about my undergraduate years on the stage. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Angela, real quick. This is a, just a short, funny one that still talks about the systems. Tell us about the lipstick. Okay.
1: <laughs> so the ladies in the room will appreciate this Gentlemen, just kind of nod and agree. So about six or so months ago, I decided to get inspired and get a natural color nude lip. So I went to a makeup counter and said to the woman, hi, I need a new, I'm I'm deciding to branch out, I need a nude lip. So she brought me a pink. And I looked at it and I paused and I was like, I don't really think that's the right color. And so she brought me another slightly darker pink. I was like, okay, take a breath, remembering the quote that I had shared with you all earlier, looked at her and smiled and said, sweetheart, I'm not that color when I'm nude. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Uh, And then she turned an appropriate shade of red and got me the right color brown.
0: There you go. So to just have to live day in and day out where the assumption is that this is what normal looks like, Mm -hmm. and if you're not this, then it's because you're not normal. Exactly. Thank God for
1: Queen Rihanna, who brought us the Fenty line, 46 shades, everyone is their own baseline.
0: I have no clue what that means, but it sounds... Just uh, say, amen. Sounds, <laughs> amen. Wow. amen. The ladies in the wow. room,
1: can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. There you
0: go. There we go. I'll, I'll research that. <laughs> uh, one last thing real quick on these systems, real quick. Uh, when was the first time that you had a teacher of color?
2: Oh, my goodness. Like, a solid full-time teacher? I was a freshman in college.
1: Uh, winter quarter, senior year of college.
0: Okay. So just again to point out, this isn't uh, that people are trying to be mean to them. This is that the systems that are in play are bringing challenges into their life that devalue their ability to have the same experiences that, that others would have, right? So this is where systems go wrong. Uh, in this process so let's let's wrap this up what can we do about this what can we do as a society and what can we do as a church uh, if we can have like just a solid final word from each of you where do we move forward from this how can we improve our ability to uh, to repair where the brokenness is occurring and to to actively honor the image of God others as well So for many of
1: us, we do a lot of travel for work, and either someone at the train station or on the airline will quote those words to you. If you see something...
0: Say something.
1: There you go. So for many of you all, I'm not going to come to your Thanksgiving. I'm not going to come to Nana's 90th birthday party. I'm not necessarily going to be in your office. So if you see something that is off, and is a little odd, and is hostile. If you see something, say something.
0: Can I use my line? Yeah.
1: So um, we, um, <laughs> we've been joking, joking a lot about um, these different um, incidents that pop up of existing while black. Before you make a phone call, pause and ask if what you're seeing, if your child was doing that, would you call the police? Mm. If your child's friend was doing that, would you call the police? Or, as I joked earlier this week, grace and peace, don't call the police. Amen.
0: Now, and again, you're not talking when, when there's actually you, if danger. If you see and
1: crime, <laughs> if you see abuse of an elder or a child or domestic violence, if you see your car being broken into, absolutely. But if you just see a black child taking a nap in a grad student, student dorm room, do not call the police. Let that baby get a nap.
0: Thank you. One, one other line that I appreciated from you, uh, that you brought in uh, from, oh, I forget the source, uh, was the fix your people thing.
1: Oh, um, as the gentle lady from the great state of California, Congresswoman Maxine Waters says, I'm reclaiming my time, fix your people. Auntie
2: Maxine for the win. <laughs>
0: And what, and what she means by that is that uh, we can't, as uh, non-people of color, uh, expect you to have all the talks with people and to straighten people out and, and to do that—that that we I have a, to be active in that. I
1: have a full-time paid job. I do not have time to come to every family gathering where people are acting out of pocket. Now, if you pay me well, <laughs> I will gladly right. come and there fix all of your people. But <laughs> until that time, fix your people. All, all right.
2: Stipend.
0: Zach, what can we do?
2: Um, definitely, I would say engage in different cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a piece of that this morning. Um, having grown up in church and leading worship for years and years and years, I remember in my undergraduate years they started a gospel chapel band and they said, well, Uh, we want you to start doing the Christian contemporary music and then adding a little soul to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, Hillsong and Jesus Culture and Elevation Worship, just absolutely beautiful and spirit-filled. You can only add so much soul to that. (laughs) In Jesus' name. Just a little bit, just a little bit. You know, so then um, I had gotten to the point where Mm -hmm. I had grown weary of watering down my worship Because members of the majority culture misconstrued my passion and my fire and my love for God for being too showy or too ostentatious. So um, what I did was that I just said, all right, Lord, I'm going to just go ahead on and sing and either folks are going to be with me or they're not. So, I mean, that's what happened. So when I come here and I do songs like I did this morning, to see all of you engage with that gives me so much Joy, because you are putting yourself in a position to be a part of a culture that's not your own. Mm -hmm. And I think that that should definitely extend, you know, from these walls and, you know, begin to engage with people of different cultures and kind of step into their world a little bit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Zach, I thank you for that. Uh, leading us into that Uh, one of the things we've talked is the recognition that uh, you're living much of your life throughout the week in a majority culture that's different than yours and how exhausting that can be and so to be able to come and also spend the weekend uh, in a space that we're striving to be entirely safe for everybody but let's just be honest like it's not entirely safe uh, for everybody in all ways right and so for you to be able to come and to put yourself out there And and just hope that that people are receiving that um, is just such the greatest blessing to us. So thank you you for that. Um, Can you help thank them for me for the wisdom (laughs) they brought? Let's stay standing with me. I just wanna say one last thing. As a church, this is an issue that we wanna continue to always grow in. So please, uh, if you have wisdom to add, speak it. If you have uh, no experience, open your ears and listen. As a church, we need to continually increase the amount of leadership we have uh, of people of color. Uh, We need to increase the people of color presence on our staff teams and throughout everything that we do, uh, we need to, to continue to take steps and we just recognize that there's a long way to go. For all of us together. So as we go, uh, be encouraged uh, that you have a God who made you in his image, each and every one of you, regardless of your story, and be challenged to continue to listen to the stories of others. Grace and peace be with with you. Have a great week.